welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 48. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing DS9's final episodes, Dogs of War and What You Leave Behind. Here we go. The Dogs of War, Season 7, Episode 24, Production Number 574. Original air date, May 26, 1999. Teleplay by Renee Caveria and Ronald D. Moore. Story by Peter Allen Fields. Directed by Avery Brooks. Music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick, Jeffrey Combs as Wayun and Brunt, Max Kranchik as Rom, Casey Biggs as Demar, Barry Jenner as Admiral Ross, Cecily Adams as Ishka, J.G. Hertzler as General Martok, Chase Masterson as Lita, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Juliana McCarthy as Mila, Tiny Ron as Mayhardu, Salone Jens as Female Shapeshifter, Mel Johnson Jr. as Broca, Vaughn Armstrong as Seskel, Stephen Yoakum as Vilal, Paul S. Eckstein as Jim Hadar, David B. Levinson as Broik, Kathy Debuano as Mampella, Leroy D. Brazil as Lonar, Majel Barrett as Federation Computer Voice, and Wallace Shawn as Zek. While Cisco takes command of a new starship named in honor of the Defiant, Kira, Garrett, and Damar barely escape a Dominion ambush on Cardassia and are forced into hiding. And meanwhile, Cork receives a static-filled message from Grand Negus Zek that he is being named Zek's success- successor. And finally, cured of his deadly changeling virus, Odo is, Odo is outraged to learn that he was infected by Section 31, but promises Cisco he won't take matters into his own hands. I wonder why they refuse to believe you're dead. Oh, they've been lied to so often. They don't trust anything the Dominion says. But what if it's more than that? What if we had more of an impact than we realized? What if we turned you into a legend? All right. Wow, that Gosh. took up like 10 minutes of our episode. I know. Right there. <laughs> Steve, is that the longest guest cast you've ever had to do? Uh, yeah, I think that, I believe so. It's probably even longer than what you leave behind, right? Because several of these characters, this is the final time we see them. Like uh, Ron. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moogie, all those. Um, Brunt. Um, so, well, first of all, I said I'd, I'd complain more about it later when it actually happened. So, here we have the Defiant that isn't the Defiant coming right back after the Defiant. There was the mm-hmm. Defiant. Yeah. Like, what are you, you talking about? It has purple carpet. Come on now. <laughs> yes, that's true. They changed the carpet, and I think they repainted one of the walls or something. Um, <laughs> no, even when they had the opportunity here, what's it called? The Sao Paulo? Yeah. Um, even that, like, okay, at least it's got a different name. And then, you know, within seconds, oh, there's something else in that pad. It's special dissertation. Dis- call yeah. it. Da-da-da. Oh, come on. You couldn't call it for one episode or two episodes. You couldn't call it this episode. At least give me a different name. Now, mm. I don't know. I, You know, in my research, certainly a lot of people commented about, um, well, you know, I feel that it was good that you destroyed the Defiant. That meant something. And it showed how powerful the Breen were, and that was good. What I complain about is bringing it right back. But it seems like more people complained about just the fact that they destroyed it, the Defiant in the first place. The fact that they brought it back so quickly didn't seem to bother others as much as it bothered me. Um, I don't well, know I guess, side- well, I think in hindsight, our complaint, Brian, I think you and I agreed, and you probably do too, Stephen, is that um, I have a problem with them destroying it if they're just going to bring it back in the next episode. What's the point? 
Yeah, I mean, that's what our It's kind of like they, they wrote themselves into a hole or whatever. It's like, first off, if we blow up the big ship, that's a big deal. Cool. And then it's, oh, we need a ship. Then it would be on a ship for all the climactic stuff at the very end, so we've got to bring it back. But we can't afford a whole new set, and we can't afford uh, computer graphics to change the name on the shots we've already done on the outside of it. So they write themselves into a hole, and they end up with this situation. You know, I mean, I, I, that's the thing. You know, if they destroyed it a year ago... Yeah, yeah. It feels so weird. It's just, for, I mean, for one thing, there's it, it's not possible even in this Star Trek for them to build a ship this fast. There's no way. The only the only canonical explanation you can come up with is well, they had already built it or they were already almost finished building it. Yeah, you know, um, and it just and it was the exact same. Ship. But even that doesn't make sense. If they were building more than one, then you would think there would be more than two, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, still, we see the Armada, and it's the only ship like it. Nothing else remotely like it. Now, I don't think they actually engaged the cloak, so that's worth something. That would have that would have bugged me even more. And that's you know, we don't. There are lots of there are lots of different Star Trek fans, lots of different kinds of Star Trek fans, and I respect them all and I love them all. I love all our listeners. Um, but generally, the three of us, we're not really like. You know, we're not the kind of people that read the nitpicker's guide to, to Star Trek. You know, we're not those kind of Star Trek fans. That's fine for people that are, but that's not who we are. That's not how we discuss Star Trek, you know. But this is one of those few times where I feel like, I feel like I must be, this is, I'm like being one of those, <laughs> those, those fans. Uh, well, no, not necessarily. I mean, if this was written into another show or something like that, it, it, it just wouldn't play well. It was just, I, I think Steve kind of hit it on the head there. It kind of sounds sounds good enough the explanation he gave it's maybe if they would have done something cool like with they'd brought back a new designed defiant but like i said they didn't have the money for it so well at any rate we've got the sao paulo which is now the defiant um and uh let's see what else have we got we've got um damar garrick and kira end up in mila's basement Mm -hmm. nice uh, Mila. Now they don't establish, they don't say it at all in this show, but um, in Andy Robinson's Stitch in Time, which we've talked about, it's been a while since we talked about it, but we talked a little bit about it. We had a Renee email exchange. One of our listeners, we talked about it. Um, I believe in Andy. It's been a while since I read it, but I'm pretty sure in Andy Robinson's book, he flat out says Mila was his mother. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but they hint enough at it in this episode that you can you can see where it's coming from. Of course, they also you know flat out uh, Mila, I believe, says to Damar and Kira that uh, Tane was Garrick's father. Which is mm-hmm. anyway, um, so those three are in the basement, and um, what else have we got? We've got Ezra, e- Ezra, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Bashir both acknowledge their feelings for each other. That's that's nice. Um, a lot of stuff happens in this episode. This is the first time, and last time, uh, Brunt and Wayun are in the same episode. Is that correct? Is I believe so. It's the only episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's nutty about that is they, they literally cut from Brunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, my God. That's so yeah. crazy. And it's cool. Like it, I don't know if you saw in the opening credits, it even says Jeffrey Combs as Wayun and Brunt. Or Brunt <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Both on one card. That's that's so great. That's so awesome. Jeffrey Combs is the man. <laughs> Although we have seen him play more than one Wei Yun in one episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so there's a lot of just plot, plot, plot in this episode. Um, there's a lot more stuff we can talk about plot-wise. But just overall, um, 
it feels a little bit like I don't know. I, I was looking back on 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 this whole ten episode finale, um, nine episodes if you count one you leave behind as one. Um, and while most of them, you know, with the exception of extreme measures, they pretty much all are just one continuous arc. None, none of them really work as standalones. Um, which also means, for the most part, they're very plot-heavy. Plot, 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 plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, my general complaint about plot, plot, plot <laughs> is that there isn't any time for character. There's nothing, you know, it's not... If, I, if, I, if, if it's not more than the sum of its parts, then it's not usually a very good episode. If I can write the synopsis and get the same thing out of reading the synopsis as watching the, sh- the episode, then I don't think of it as it's usually not this episode. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, most of those of the other earlier ones in this uh, finale arc, I think are great. I mean, several that I think are really great. This one I think is is okay. I don't think it's great. It's 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 good. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's, and I was trying to I was asking myself why do I feel that it's not as good as some of those others? And I think it's because the other ones, even though they are very plotty, um, they they go together in such a way that they're still taking their time with characters. We still have a lot of great little character scenes. We get a whole bunch of that stuff in What You Leave Behind. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But um, overall, this episode, probably more than any of the others in this final arc, uh, it feels like um, you know, some glue that's between other episodes. Yeah. Just like it really just really can't. I, like I could never watch this episode totally by itself. But even some of the earlier ones in this arc, I could just for, I don't know, the first couple, the, the moments between Ezri and Worf, some of those character things that are happening, just as an example, that's the kind of stuff that it's strong enough that I could watch it by itself. And what do you guys think? Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of think this is an example where they tried to do just a little bit too much with, the, um, you know, with Cork and Rom and all that. It's, it's nice. But I, I think this probably could have taken place earlier in the season, and it would have fit better. Uh, maybe. I mean, and, I mean, I've got you. You got to you got to come used be used to the fact that they're going to always jump the shark with the Ferengi. So, I, the whole Rom thing is him becoming Grand Nagus was it, to me. It was jumping the shark. It didn't really make a whole lot of sense. But all right, it's the Ferengi. They do these crazy things with them. So, but I think this could have been done earlier in the season, and they could have had more time to do what you were talking about: character development. Within within a crazy show. Well, that's one thing I actually. Well, definitely, I like that we got some kind of closure with the Frangi. Um, I one of my few complaints about season seven is that Pork basically has nothing to do. This is one of the few times he sort of has something to do, but even here he kind of doesn't. But at least we get we get some some decent um, closure with all of that Frankie arc, and I actually don't mind. I don't, I don't feel like they jumped the shark. I, I I appreciate what they did with Rom because it does seem like an extension. You know, first of all, what's happening on Ferenginar, the way the culture is changing, um, it does seem like an organic extension of, of everything we've seen before as far as uh, Mugi's influence on Zek. Um, and also the fact that Rom specifically is named as Negus. We, this isn't out of nowhere as far as Rom being uh, more interested in equality. Heck, look back at one of the most underappreciated episodes, uh, the business, bar association, bar association. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
sense of Rom caring about equality for others and things like that, you know. So it doesn't seem it does seem organic to me. Is my point that that this is what's happened on Ferenginar, That Zach and Moogie would decide to make Rom Nagus. That actually doesn't that doesn't bother me. I kind of I kind of like that. I actually like it. I like it a lot. And I also like it in parallel to to looking at Rom and thinking about how far as a character he has come. And holding that, I think it holds up next to Demar almost. Maybe not as much screen time, um, but and and maybe maybe for Ram, it, you know, his his effect on the future of Ferenginar is just beginning, as opposed to we see uh, Demar's effect and we see his just ending in this show. Um, but I am I'm actually okay with it. I think it's an organic extension of everything we've seen before. Steve, what do you think about that? I th- I th- well, I think um, I think what might make this episode a little odd and not the best episode, even though the fer- how they wrapped up the Ferengi is, I-, I think it's good. I think it's it's kind of the only one really of this arc that has. It's almost like we have an A story that's standalone and a B story is a carryover of everything else. You know, all the, all the others are kind of like, all right, we have some st- stories that are ongoing. Maybe we introduce something kind of new and then we continue the next one, that kind of thing. This one's unique in that way. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm not sure that's why it's uh, not one of the greatest episodes in the end of this season, but it's just a little odd. And it, and it, and it's just kind of like, okay, let's shove this all together here right before the finale or something. You know, that, that's, why, that's what I feel about it. Yeah, no, no, I'd agree. I don't... You know, we we both kind of disagree. I mean, we're probably going to disagree on that. I mean, it, it, I I kind of just it just felt awkward to me. But I don't have like it doesn't bother me. It's not like oh my god, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. No, I I don't think that at all. It's it's doesn't bother me really. But I just think it could have taken place a little earlier in the season with all that's kind of going on right before the last episode. It just I think they should have spent a little bit more time on other stuff to kind of wrap up more stuff other than uh, this could have taken place earlier. That's all I'd say. Well, so you didn't care for this, the Ferengi storyline, but I do want to ask. Uh, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say I didn't care for the Ferengi story. I just don't like it. The placement. I think this could have been done earlier in the season. There were places to do it earlier in the season and they could have done it because, you know, we had, we, like you said, we've had several episodes where Quark really doesn't have anything to do and there's not really much going on with him. They could have set this up a little bit earlier in the season and had it maybe played out in the middle. Well, the one but, reason I like it here is because at least it now, other, without this, looking at those 10 episodes, the 10 episode finale, you, without this, you could have basically not had Quark in the show at all and it would have made no difference. Mm-hmm. And so that it's here only for that reason, so that Cork feels like he's um, necessary to the wrap up of the show and Rom and all and all these characters. That's the only reason I, that I like it here. Maybe it could have been done somewhere else in the final arc, um, maybe. And then there could have been just a hair more breathing room before we go into the finale. Yeah, I, th- I think I think maybe it's because that this particular story is all contained into one episode, and every other arc pretty much overlaps multiple episodes. It feels odd. You know, I'm not sure that it would be any better if they did that. But if somehow there were like little threads of it over a couple of episodes or something, and then it culminated in one episode, maybe that would feel more like it fits within that that you know series of episodes to me. That's a good. That's a good point. Yeah, that, that would definitely work too. Um, what about? Uh, could have given Quark something to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Quark as this. This is going to be the last. Oh, I love that he. I love that he quotes Star Trek: First Contact. By the way, <laughs> yeah. 
sure that was a Ron Moore line. It had to be. Um, um, but what about this idea that that uh, Cork wants the old Fringy back, Fringinar back, <laughs> the old lot of the old fringy culture you know what what well that's the two sides of cork he's got his his very stringent fringy side and then he does have his more compassionate would you, human side i guess you could say that's a that's a, i think that's what makes cork interesting is, is the is that complexity and this is a good episode that illustrates it because we we see that he's he's not gonna he doesn't throw people under the bus he's not conniving he he doesn't hate everybody friends do matter to him even though he doesn't want to admit it um uh, but at the same time, he's a traditionalist within his own culture. He like feels like, oh, I've got to make this stance, and because look where everything's going. So I'm, you know, it, it's it's very strange, but it it somehow doesn't make him. It makes him a bit of an enigma, but it, I don't think it's contradictory, really. I wonder about you know if you compare it to our society. Um, I am relatively young. <laughs> you know, all three of us are about you know nearly the same age. We're not. 15 or 20, but we're not 50. We're not. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I'm still politically, uh, socially, I comparatively am liberal. I don't think of myself that way, but I, I look in and I can objectively say, okay, I would be labeled as uh, liberal. Um, but the people that are conservative are often, and I'm not, not all of them, but percentage wise, you know, they are probably. As a general rule, older people are more conservative, younger people are more liberal. And what's interesting about that, of course, is that it's pretty much always that way, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not voting, the younger people are, are more liberal. Liberal and, and people that are older now and conservative, when they were younger, comparatively speaking, they were probably… Uh, On average, yes. Mm-hmm. Liberal. So what I'm wondering is… You know, in this same way, like as we get older, are we going to be if, – if we don't change but everything changes around us, do we then get perceived as conservative? Is, is that what's happening to Quark here? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think of him as more complex. Hmm. Yeah, he's, he's just got multiple sides to his personality that come out that, from time to time. No. Yeah. Am I stretching? Back no, with that? I think it's an interesting notion. It's just yeah. hard. To, it's hard to say for sure, but that that may be maybe what's going on. A um, couple last plot things I wanted to reference. Of course, we have the the changeling deciding once she finds out that the Federation have overcome the Breen um, energy displacement weapon, whatever that's called. Uh, once the Federation has a way around that, um, she decides. We need to retreat and fortify our position. Um, the Federation won't come come after us. Obviously, that's an incorrect decision. Um, the Federation are smart enough. Uh, Cisco and Ross and Martok are smart enough to know that's what she's expecting. Mm-hmm. And they had to go against that. Um, was that just our our usual, our same, um, the Changeling underestimating Solid again? I th- I think that, I think it's a combination of that, and I also think this this disease may be just taxing on her to some extent as well. It's the beginning of a series of fatal mistakes that she's going to make. That's yeah. going to end much sooner than anybody anticipates. Um, okay, last but not least, Cassidy's pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> matter in the show. <laughs> what? 
Well, I think it's them reaching for something to try to make some sense out of that proclamation from the prophets that they would, you know... Suffer. Yeah, suffer, you know, because maybe going forward, what's going to happen and uh, the, the loss of, you know, maybe the baby's not going to be able to see its father, you know, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know if it's crucial to the whole big picture. It's okay that they did this? It didn't bother you? No, it didn't bother me. It's you? Beg your pardon? Did it surprise you guys? I honestly didn't even remember. I guess it kind of did surprise me because I didn't actually remember it taking place. It's kind of, it's a, it's a weird thing. It's a big deal, but it's really not, you know? That's why I'm asking about it. That's, I had the same feeling. It's like, that should be a big deal. Have we ever seen the captain of a Star Trek show um, impregnate someone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be off screen, but yeah. <laughs> Let me change the syntax of that question. <laughs> Uh, there were a lot of deleted scenes from the original series. <laughs> but have we ever seen, you know, somebody, a captain's girl get pregnant on Star Trek? Mm-hmm. No. no. Um, so it, it, that's well, one Kirk example. Kirk had a son. Yeah, but, we, but that was... Well, but yeah, we didn't see the, the pregnancy part of it, no. Yeah. And, and it wasn't on the, the series either. Um, so it's something that should have been a really big deal. Uh, and it wasn't, and I was just wondering why. Why wasn't it? Is it? It's because there's only, you know, this happens at the very end of this episode, and then we got one more episode. We don't see anything. We just had, really, it amounts to a couple of lines in, a, in one scene. Yeah. Uh, is, are these the reasons, or is it because we were all watching it from, from like a narrative viewpoint, thinking about, well, the sorrow and the, the prophecy and all that stuff? Is she, is she just not that I don't, important? To what we think of as DS9, I, I don't know why wasn't it a big deal. I think it's a combination of those things, and I think it's all. I think it's that there's just too much going on. You know, there's so much going on that it's not like this. Is, I mean, if that if that kind of thing happened and it was just a, in the standalone episode of season five or whatever, yeah, I think it would have been like, oh, wh- whoa, that's a big deal or whatever. But now, as approaching the end, oh, we have the finale coming up and all these plot things going on, like four or five different things in one episode. It's like, oh, that's going on. Oh, that's interesting. Move on. You know. Well, um, well, I had my theory, <laughs> <laughs> and I, and it's unfortunate. I don't want to talk down or positive. I know you guys heard me rant, but I think this is where we have like the disappointment in the character and in, in this character that she wasn't developed at all, and we don't really have a lot of feelings for her. And it's it's, it's the same thing. It's like, oh well, this sh- this should be a big deal where Cassidy's pregnant, and we should feel something more, but I, we really don't. It's just like, okay, she's pregnant. Because they didn't t- take the time to really develop her very well over the years. Mm, perhaps. In fact, if it had almost no effect, should they have? Should they not have done it? Is my last question to you guys. Well, the same. Yeah, I guess we were asking that a lot in this episode because what, we talked <laughs> about the defiance, and you know, we had a healthy debate about the Ferengi. But I, you know, maybe you swayed me a little bit more. <laughs> but yeah, why would they do do that? And why would they do the defiant thing? So. All right. I think we've covered this one pretty well. Uh, Let's move on to... Six Degrees for Dogs of War. I was able to pull out... I had to cheat just a little, but I was able to get pretty close to our normal Six Degrees, finally. Okay. Uh, Steve. Yes. Leroy D. Brazil plays Lonar, the young Cardassian civilian that recognizes Damar. In Voyager's fifth season, in the episode Gravity... He played a young Tuvok during flashbacks as the older Tuvok and Paris are marooned on a planet with a woman named Nos. 
in the uh, in these flashbacks, what is young Tuvok receiving training for? Uh, okay. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember. Um, is that one? Colnar or something? The you know, did he was he going through that process or trying to or whatever that's called? I don't think it's that exact um, ceremony, but it is that same thing. Yeah, how to control his emotions. Yeah, yeah. So I'll give you that one. So that's Steve's got one. Adam, Paul Eckstein plays the Jem'Hadar guard that stops Garrick after Garrick plants the bomb in the Jem'Hadar barracks in Voyager's fifth season. He plays Yost. In the episode in which Tuvok and Paris are marooned on a planet with a woman named Nuts. <laughs> Name the episode. No clue. I just said it in the last uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, All right. I didn't. I'm sorry, man. You were breaking up there. I'm, I know that's kind of lame, but I. Okay. I, I, I have no idea what it is, so I'll, I'll take a zero. Did I, Steve? Did I? Gra- gravity. Gravity? Yes, you got it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> did I did I break up when I said the title? Well, I, yeah, it was just kind of mushed a little bit at the end there. So, but oh. don't worry about it. It's all good. <laughs> Let's finish DS9. What You Leave Behind, Season 7, Episodes 25 and 26, Production Numbers 575 and 576, Original Air Date, June 2nd, 1999, Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler, Directed by Alan Croker, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien, Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Salome Jens as Female Shapeshifter, Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick, Casey Biggs as Damar, Mark Alamo as Gold Ducat, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, J.G. Hertzler as General Martok, Barry Jenner as Admiral Ross, Deborah Lacey as Sarah, Juliana McCarthy as Mila, Hannah Hate as Molly, Mel Johnson Jr. as Broca, Greg Ellis as Ekur, Cindy Pass as Ginger, Kevin Scott Allen as Jim Hadar, Christopher Halstead as Jim Hadar first, Judy Durand as Cardassian Computer Voice, James Darren as Vic Fontaine, and Louise Fletcher as Kai Wynn. Cisco leads what he hopes will be the final all-out assault on Cardassia Prime. As Kira and Garrick mount a suicide assault on the Cardassian headquarters occupied by the Dominion, who are killing innocent women and children village by village in retaliation for resistance attacks. Meanwhile, on Bajor, Kai Wen releases the Paw Wraiths from the fire caves, which threatens the safety of not only Bajor, but the entire Alpha Quadrant. To the best crew any captain ever had. This may be the last time we're all together, but no matter what the future holds, no matter how far we travel, a part of us, a very important part, will always remain here on Deep Space Nine. Okay, what you leave behind. What do you think they call this uh, series finale, What You Leave Behind? Sounds like a good title for our last episode. <laughs> no, I don't know. Well, Next Gen's final episode was all good things. Yeah. Um, and what was Voyager's end game? Is that right? I think. Yeah. Make it, I mean, it, make, it makes sense what you leave behind. Well, and especially because you have people leaving. I mean, this one, you know, there's a lot of people going their in various ways, going their going their own way, leaving the station. So I think it's it's it's, it's appropriate. It sounds right to me. Well, you know, talking about that, I have to immediately say. Yeah, I want to say to you guys, thank you 
for these two <laughs> years. I know we're going we're going to have another podcast in two weeks, and we're going to just generally talk about uh, DS Nine um, and wrap it up. But I've been really enjoyed watching this show with you guys over the course of two years. I really have. Um, but my favorite thing about this finale and DS Nine being my favorite Star Trek, it's the way they ended this show is so perfectly indicative of everything I love about this show. It's a show about characters. It's a show made by people that care about characters and people that feel that character is the most important thing. Um, as Ira Bear, or maybe it was Ron Moore, has said, it's like, even though it has the most aliens, ironically, it's the most human of the Star Treks. And I would definitely um, agree with that. And the way they wrap this series up, the way this, this episode ends, we actually see everything. We're going to talk about, we'll talk about the end of the war and everything, but just because I've already started this. We actually see everything um, with these characters get wrapped up. We see characters saying goodbye. We see montages. You know, no other show mm-hmm. ever did anything like that. Mm-hmm. We find out what's going to happen to all these characters. Um, so, you know, my favorite thing, so let's, we'll, we'll hold that off just for a minute. But just to say, my favorite thing about this finale is that we end the war after, what, it's a 90-minute finale, and I think we end the war at about an hour in. And we have a half hour to wrap up, you know, characters. And there's a little bit of action and stuff with the fire caves and stuff. But for the most part, it's saying goodbye. And um, how, there's no other way you could end of this show and that's that's why this is still my favorite star trek um but okay we'll, we'll get to that in a minute <laughs> um guys satisfied with the way the war wraps up damar's killed did you see that coming was that right that they did that yeah it makes sense yeah it's, okay. you know, him becoming <laughs> a martyr. I mean, <laughs> nah, I mean, no. if you think about it, he's become you know they made him into a legend, so they kind of set it up that way in the previous episode. You know, he's going to become the legend, and you know, c- civilians are going to you know think of him as bigger in life. So, I mean, that makes sense because you know, a lot of characters like that end up you know dying in battle or, or dying heroically. So, and, um, yeah, it works very well. Um, that uh, huge armada that we see at the beginning of the episode heading toward Cardassian space um, I don't know what is this rate for you and ship battles in the TV series I was trying to think of a of a you know ship battle that I thought was better I thought they really outdid themselves here it was very very well done I know there were some reused shots from mm-hmm. other movies and stuff but there were only nerds like us knows that yeah, <laughs> of scale that I know they could not have achieved on older shows because you know uh, they were stuck using models, mm-hmm. um, but with with the CG they were able to have all these ships and um, all these things going on. I mean, it felt like what you see in a feature. It felt like what you got out of yeah. say Contact when they when they had the money and the time to shoot a kajillion models and put them on screen. Um, <clears throat> so uh, that for me is, and maybe it's because I just watched it but it felt like what could be the best space battle of any of the TV shows yeah I think so too yeah I think mm-hmm. so too 
Um, so that was, that was pretty awesome. Um, but mostly this episode was about killing people. (laughs) (laughs) Mila was killed. I guess we saw that one coming. We mentioned Mm -hmm. Wei Yun buys it. Yes. That was, was, have I ever mentioned to you guys that I love Garrick? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Maybe, maybe early on in the series. I should do that then. I should say I love Garrick. He is my favorite fictional character ever created. He's a, he's even above Sherlock Holmes for me. It's, I it's a bold Garrick. statement. It <laughs> is, and it's still true. Now that I finished these series series for the first time in years, I can still say that he is my favorite fictional character. And I love so true to his character. <laughs> Wei Yun smarts off, and Garrick shoots him. My only <laughs> about that is. From a, from a directing standpoint, the fact that like Garrick takes a step forward and raises his phaser and then shoots Wayun, and there's like a like an insert shot where you kind of see his hand with his phaser coming up, and it's almost like making a bigger making a big deal out of the fact that Garrick's shooting killing Wayun. But what I love about Garrick is that that wasn't a big deal to him at all. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right. No. Wish they hadn't done that. You know, they <laughs> mm. should have. Uh, it would have been more accurate to the way that Robinson was playing the character and who the character was to make no big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. So like that better, but anyway. just kind of nonchalant shoot. <laughs> but Garrick's kind of a dramatic guy. He likes to be dramatic. So like say way, saying some crap, he should have just shot him in the middle of his sentence. Yeah. You know, <laughs> bam. You know? Well, Garrick's not rude. He'll let, he'll let you finish your thought. <laughs> he may be a lot of things, but he's not rude. You mentioned Sherlock Holmes. I would think um, Garrick's kind of more of a Moriarty-type character when you mentioned Sherlock Holmes. Um, I don't I've never, you know, do you guys think of him as, I, I don't think of him as a villain. Um, He's even gray. Even when it was early on, we had like one episode where, where he might have killed like Quark, I believe. You know, there was some hitting around about that, but that wasn't, that was the only thing. Even Rom, we had an episode where he was going to kill his brother. Right. Uh, so, well, way back I, in the first season, so long ago, <laughs> seven years. <laughs> so, well, no. What I was saying when I say Moriarty, I'm he more probably related. It just made me think if you were going to put him in Sherlock Holmes, he would probably be more of a Moriarty character. You know, thinking you know, maybe not necessarily bad, guy, but. He could be a bad guy. He's not in this show necessarily. He's in the gray, but I'm not, I wasn't trying to insinuate he was a bad guy by saying he's more like Moriarty. You certainly don't want him against you, you know. <laughs> that is true. Remember the episode where um, <laughs> Cork wanted him to kill him when he doesn't see it coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as as an intense lover of Garrick. <laughs> Um, I was satisfied. I love that he got a moment, just like everybody else in this show. He got a moment to sign off, right? He had that scene with, with Bashir, where Bashir doesn't really know what to say. 800 million people have been killed on, on, on Garrick's home world. Um, but Garrick says, um, I've, finally returned from my exile to my home or what's left of it. Um, you know, and we have a scene there. They didn't, that scene didn't have to be in this episode, but it was. And without it, I would have felt kind of cheated on that, the character of Garrick. Mm-hmm. 
I like that it wasn't a happy scene either. You know, they really kind of played yeah. it true to true to form. It's you know because most of the other stuff, you know, you've had some you have some happy feelings, but you know, Garrick's departure, you're like kind of like, God damn, dude, he's got a rough road ahead of him. It wasn't very uh, it wasn't a very happy ending for him. Let's put it that way. Again, I will say for our listeners, if you love Garrick half as much as I do, um, and you really want to conclude his character properly, if there was only one novel in the history of Star Trek, I would say you pretty much have to read. It's Stitch in Time, which Robinson wrote, which is all Garrick during the reconstruction of this planet. I think he's writing letters to uh, Bashir, um, and he tells about his growing up and stuff. And it, it's, it's really good, and it gives you a, a much better sense of closure on the character, but Anyway, um, and it does. It takes place, you know, pretty much right after this. Um, okay, so thankfully we get a nice uh, Garrick goodbye. Um, pretty incredible. Uh, the Dominion, you know, kind of her fatal, fatal mistake when they destroyed Lakaran City, two million people killed. You know, and it's shortly after that, that the ship to ship battle. Uh, which, you know, it was 50-50 how that was going, and then the Cardassians changed sides and pretty much ensured Federation victory, not just there, but at that point, Federation deciding to to go on, take the fight all the way to Cardassia. Um, and the Cardassians changed sides because, I think, if any one thing was because of the Dominion's destroying Lakaran City and two million Cardassians wiped out. Yeah. And we've seen this them make this mistake over and over, but good God. Yeah, if um you know that that's the thing. That again underestimating um, their adversaries and specifically, you know, you if you or if you you gotta be ready, you gotta have the manpower to you know, like later on, they say, "Kill them all, kill them all." Well, they're not thinking straight. You know, you you got to you got to think if you have the manpower to do that and still achieve the other goals you want to do. If that's really what's going on, you know, it's just nuts. And they should have thought of that ahead of time. It's like, well, unless we're prepared to get by just fine without the Cardassians at all and be able to knock them all out and deal with them and handle the, you know, then we should be a little more uh, diplomatic here with them. You know, that's the big error they made. <clears throat> Well, you, you have the sense that at this point the war is it's it's inevitably going to end the way it does. Mm-hmm. But these actions that the Dominion takes here, this these last couple episodes, uh, just you know massively speed it up and make it happen now instead of a year or two from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would concur. Now, in in reality, I don't think wars end this way. They're always you know dragged out as much as possible and stuff. And, um, but, well, it, well, the German war kind of ended this way. Hitler in a bunker, but it didn't end as well for him as it did for the changeling. The um, the battle, oh, nothing like that, where it seems like they're beaten and then they drag it out an extra year. Um, but there is, you know, I, I'm just I'm trying to say that what we're doing, we kind of take for granted um, this this sense of um, eminent Federation victory. And I think they do a good job of, of, even though, of course, we know the Federation isn't going to lose any sooner than um, the main characters are going to die. 
there's still a sense of of peril. There's still a sense of of um, something extraordinary is happening because instead of um, this taking as long as it maybe should, all these little things have happened to make it all happen in an exciting way in a couple of episodes at the end of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and you know and I and I and I buy it. It doesn't feel like. Um, like a stretch, so that's very significant. Um, I'm kind of just going down a, a list of stuff that happens here, and that's kind of silly. <laughs> <laughs> the fire cave situation. I oh my god, a couple of comments I have to make about that. One, Mark Alamo is such an incredible actor. The way he says Eminence, whenever she says, "You will call me address me as Eminence," <laughs> he just the way he says Eminence. It's so. Uh, but so do Cot. I I do love uh, the moment when when she's about to drink that potion or whatever, and then she instead gives it to Cot, and you know there's like a close up of her face, and you know that it, you know it's poison, you know Ducat's about to die. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a little bit weird, uh, and this is the tiniest, tiny, minor, minor, minor complaint. Uh, but the only complaint I have maybe for this episode is that it's, it is just a tiny bit weird uh, cutting back and forth to the fire cave situation, especially like there's one moment I think when we cut from Vic's. Oh yeah. Like right when he finishes that song, he's singing a song and we cut from Vic's to the fire cave and it's like the music is all dark all of a sudden and it's an exterior of the fire cave. It just, it totally, it's a little bit weird that cut. I almost wish they, I almost wish that had been a cut to a commercial and then come back from black. It might've been smoother. I don't know. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little harsh. The moods are so dramatically you know, divergent. Different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause on one hand you've got, we're celebrating this, the victory of the war, but let's wrap up the war. I'm sorry. Um, you know, at this point, they're just numbers, but it, it is pretty crazy how many Cardassians the Dominion kill. Mm-hmm. 800 million. 800 million. That's, that's a lot. Um, you know, if they killed that many humans on Earth, maybe it would sound like a bigger deal to us. I don't know. Maybe I'm racist, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, yeah, it's... I, not that they didn't have time they they really didn't have time to do it but it's kind of it happens very quickly so it's I don't it's, there's not really except for that scene with Garrick I think that's the only time that it's really allowed to kind of soak in it's a, I mean 800 million people is a lot of people I mean you know any other normal that's basically almost genocide you know mm-hmm. so I just think there's so much going on you're back and forth that it's not that it's not dramatic and it's not mm-hmm. it's not impactful it's just like you're you don't have time to really spend a whole lot of time on it. Well, I think I think I think it's to their credit in the writing. You know, we're we're invested in the war as much as the characters. You know, and just like in real life, if you're in the midst of a crisis, these things don't hit as much. They don't have time to sink in. You know, it's just kind of like, wow, that's nuts. We're still fighting. Here we go. Keep going. You know, and that's how I feel about it. And they really do have a scene with you know um, Cisco and um, Marta and. Admiral Ross there at the end, you know, all the dead Cardassians and it's kind of like, we're not going to drink over their dead bodies. And I think that kind of just, you have this, I think you have the scene with Garrick right before the, or right before that. And then you have that or, or the vice versa. And it's, it, it's, it's impactful. You kind of feel it. You have to kind of go back and think about it, but it's, it's, it, it I've, I've felt it at least. Yeah. That, that scene I think is what, what helps it so much. The fact that they don't drink that, that blood mine. It's a nice contrast between humans and Klingons, for one thing. 
Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad Martok didn't decide not to drink. That would have bugged me. Um, but I like that they decide not to, and it's because of all these dead Cardassians. That, that's, when you think about it, I, I, I think you're right, Steve. It's because there's so much happening, everything's so fast, that we don't have time to really think about it. But if you take the time to think about it, I mean, 800 million? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're talking about centuries to recover from that. Yeah. yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Centuries. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, I, I love that um, it's gonna. There's so much happening in this finale that I'm sure we're gonna miss some good stuff. Um, anything you guys want to mention here? Uh, the way uh, Odo um, uh, joining with um, the female changeling immediately convinces her to surrender. What 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 happens in that melding there that that convinces her to do that? Do you think? I think I think for whatever reason this time I mean what, I guess the question what well, the question is like how come she didn't get the gist of his, of his opinion on on solids and his the vibe he has in all these other times they melded where this seemed to be have such an impact that she totally did a 180 on her views I mean that's that's what's kind of unusual but I do think it it helps us understand the nature of the link a little bit how it's just all of a sudden you basically become one person that understanding is absolutely complete and it was to such a degree that it made sense for her to take the action she did following that. See, I don't know if she did. I think the agreement was that he would go back and save the link. That's kind of what I took from it. So you think it's more of a quid pro quo thing versus uh, just an understanding issue? Well, if that was the case, though, why would they even need to join for that? You know, well, I mean, well, he has said to her. Well, I mean, it felt more like that to me, and and there's a little bit of understanding, but I don't really, I don't, because the scene later on in the episode where uh, Odo says he has to go back to the length and he has to show them and teach them what he knows, you know, and obviously this is going to take time. I don't think he was able to give her everything in that moment. I think it was mostly like, I you're going to die here, but I can go back and save the link, so let's just cut the crap and and not have any more deaths. So uh, that's kind of how I felt. Mm-hmm. I'll not be that- the tiebreaker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like that that's how it ends. I like that, you know, I didn't need some additional big battle or anything like that. I, I'm satisfied with the battle that they had before they got to Cardassia. And, um, you know, I do have this sense of, um, this is the very final bunker and, um, you know, um, Kira and, and Garrick make their way and they get in there and finally, and it's just them with the female changeling and, and, um, Odo comes in and convinces her otherwise by joining it. It's satisfying. It, it, I yeah. buy it. It's organic and it, and it does seem like a fair place that we've gotten to after all this time. I'm always still a little bit surprised that, that she was willing to stand trial um, but certainly the things that have happened are too horrific for her not to. Yeah, you know, for it sure. isn't just there wasn't just a war. You know, she she in this episode she literally ordered the extermination of all Cardassians, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. all of them. She says, "Yeah, um, you know that is something that you have to stand trial for." I'm just surprised that she would do it. That's all. Um, but um, <laughs> going back to what Steven said, I. You know, he could very well be right. It's kind of I like how they leave it open for interpretation. You know, she what she basically doesn't have 
she has one more line left in the show after this when she says it's up to you, Yodo. So we don't really know. So I like some things I like to be left open for interpretation. So you, you can kind of, you can think whatever, however you want about this scene. And it's not wrong what what they convey, conveyed there in their little link. Okay, so we finish up the war. I like also that um, signing treaty of the treaty or whatever. You know, it reminds mm-hmm. me of those pictures, like, you know, from Versailles. Yes, or, I thought that was cool. Yeah. Or where did they sign the the Civil War? I forget where. Anyway, <coughs> so that that was neat. And they brought the, I mean, you, they brought in a lot of background made up as Jemadar and Vorda and Romulan, whatever, just for that one very short scene. And, and, mm-hmm. But it, it's good. It's satisfying. Okay, so that's about an hour into the episode, and we've wrapped up the war. Um, we've killed Tamar. We've killed Mila. We've killed 800 million uh, people that we haven't met yet. Um, <laughs> and uh, we said goodbye to Garrick. Now we're on the station. We all end up at Vix, which was a truly wonderful <laughs> um, thing to just to have this final moment with all of our characters all of our Star Trek primaries yeah, at Vix awesome, awesome I'll never forget that, I'll never forget um, the first time I saw this finale, that was the thing that I remembered most I don't know if you guys remember what you remembered most, but the first time when I saw this when it was aired, what, June of 1999, that was the thing that were that I remembered more than anything else was all of them together at Vix, and then maybe a close second was the were the some of the montages because that was so surprising and unusual for Star Trek. Um, okay, so last like story thing before we talk about everybody saying goodbye, um, the fire caves and um, Cisco goes down there um, after Vix sings the way you after Vix sings the way you look tonight. By the way, I'm sure you guys know, but some of our listeners, if you didn't know. Um, that at Vix, um, all of the background, all of the extras are either writers or producers or you know people that work in the show or even some of the regulars like Jeffrey Combs and J.J. Herzler uh, just with sans makeup. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they don't focus on any background, but the two people I can all, every time I watch it, I'm like, yep, I know, I recognize him and I recognize him. Um, Ira Bear, because he's got those sunglasses. <laughs> Well, there's just, there's a couple of shots where he's very prominent in the background, um, and then Ron Moore in at least two shots every time. I'm like, oh, that's Ron Moore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so different back then with his short hair as opposed to the Ron Moore we think of from you know Battlestar nowadays with his long hair. He looks so totally different. <laughs> anyway, all right. So Cisco uh, goes to the cave. So I think it's great that we had. Um, the two primaries, you know, the primary hero on the show and the primary villain from the show, Cisco and Ducat, we had them face off. It's not a long scene, um, but I think that was how it needed to be. I'm sure there were some fans that wanted to see Kira uh, and Ducat, but I, but it felt felt right to me that it was Cisco and Ducat. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. I think yeah, they did it right. And. Um, Satisfying uh, demise for Win and Ducat. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> man. She went up in flames. <laughs> Does some regret there? Well, I think she realized that she was going to die, so she was like, "I'm going to jump back on Cisco's train." 
Yeah, the, maybe, you know, it's hard to say, but maybe there was a little maybe. part of her that was, okay, I've been goofing up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've been making mistakes. You know, I don't know. <clears throat> Even here, like, she doesn't sit up and say, what have I done? She doesn't do anything like that. But I felt like I'd... I felt like if if Cisco had killed Ducat and saved her, she would have gone right back to being the person she yeah. had. Yeah, it was time for her to go. <laughs> There's no real redemption for her. Right. No, um, not, not at this point. Well, I mean, we had, talked about that a couple episodes ago, you know, when she um, killed her, what the heck was his name? Um, Sobol or something? Yeah. Something. Yeah, when, once she killed him, it there was no, there, that was it. She was, there was no going back. Yeah. But she does make a difference in that she distracts mm-hmm. uh, caught long enough for Cisco to. Well, she gives him the key. It's the book. You're the book that had to be destroyed. Is, it, yeah. is that what I? Am I right there? That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. She both provided the distraction for him to make the move and gave the key that the book. So yeah, she did something useful. He destroyed that book a thousand years ago. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Well, we wouldn't have a, we wouldn't have we wouldn't be talking about this scene then. Yeah, how would you end the show? Yeah. <laughs> Cod to go out was it satisfying? Yeah, I, I I love that he's that he's they make him Cardassian again, and he's even got the red pot wraith eyes, so he's like as evil incarnate <laughs> as Ducat can get. Yes, indeed. So you're satisfied with his conclusion? Mm-hmm. As well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. There is a sense of, you know, I think about like Next Gen's finale, All Good Things, and you had um, uh, Q kind of bookending the show. And, you know, that Ducat was there throughout all of of DS9, you know, and he really, (laughs) he really was an evil guy. And it is it is satisfying to me. I'm 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 eminently satisfied. Um, and then Cisco goes to say goodbye to um, Cassidy in a little like prophety kind of vision. Originally, uh, they and they shot it this way. Originally, it was much more specific that he is not coming back. That he will be with the prophets forever. Um, and um, I think he made an interesting point. Uh, Avery Brooks felt. He felt that in you know 1990s America, the thought of a of a black man leaving this woman and her baby um, said something he didn't like um, socially. And I I mean it's a valid point. And it's not like they came back and said and made him say I'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> they had him come back and say I don't know if I'll be back. You know time has no meaning here. I could be back in a year. I could be back yesterday. That that's I'm fine with all of that. Um, so I don't know how much that affects, um, Cisco as, I don't know what, what's, what's really happening to him here. He's becoming a deity. Is this a way to end it? Are you satisfied with that? With Cisco? Yeah, I think it's a, a bit ambiguous, but I'm glad it's a bit ambiguous. You know, it's not that he's, it's not that he is flat out dead and he's gone to heaven or whatever. Um, it may be that he's become a prophet. Maybe he's with the prophets in some respect and maybe he'll return. Maybe he won't. But um, I, I think it needs to be like that. I, I think it's a better, it's more satisfying than if they were to try to just dictate what's going to happen or something. Yeah, there'd be no real good way to explain that. So I mean, yeah, this is this is what you you have to do, you know. It's it's kind of how start. I mean, you know, you can't like just 
completely wrap everything up into a nice neat bow. I mean, there's always going to be people still move on and they still live their lives after we stop watching these shows, you know, figuratively, obviously, but, um, so not every, so yeah, it makes sense for me and it was very satisfying. Well, that takes us into saying goodbye to all the characters. So I, I mentioned earlier at the beginning of our discussion of this, that my favorite thing about this finale is that we take the time to say goodbye to these characters and that that is perfectly indicative of everything I love about this show, that it wouldn't, that it didn't occur to them not to. So we find out what's going to happen to all these kids, you know, so um, Bashir and Ezri, by the way, we opened this episode with them in bed together. I never wanted to be a Starfleet doctor so much in my life. <laughs> um, we find out that, you know, so, so Bashir and Ezri are going to continue having a relationship. They're going to stay on the station together. Um, obviously, we see what's happened to Cisco. Uh, Kira is now in charge. Um, Odo returns to his people. Uh, Worf is going off to be Starfleet's ambassador to uh, on um, Konos. Um, Miles is going back to teach uh, at Starfleet Academy. We and we see these people leave. Of course, Quark's staying. He has to stay. He's like the one guy that's always has to always have. As people are leaving, we literally get a montage of clips. <laughs> uh, and I I remember, you know, it's, it's emotional for me now, even, watching this finale in a way that the other ones maybe are not. And I think it's because of stuff like this. And during these, these, these montages where we see clips from previous seasons and stuff, um, I think it's that same piece, the way you look tonight, that, that Vic's saying earlier, but, you know, orchestrated, of course. Oh, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Cisco says goodbye to Cassidy in that, you know, um, prophet vision, I think that was the theme from the Visitor episode. I don't recall, perhaps. But anyway, so during these montages, um, uh, we have the, this beautiful music. We see all these great moments of these characters. Um, yeah, it takes away a little bit that I don't know. For example, uh, Dax and Worf, you know, we just see more like we don't see any Terry Farrell stuff. And, you know, that was because Farrell didn't allow it, basically. I don't know if, Steve, you remember it. Mm-hmm. The creation show, somebody asked her about that, and that was one more of her passive-aggressive responses. But <laughs> <laughs> one comment my wife made that, it, that that really took away some of the power for her that she didn't get to see any of that during those montages. But for the most part, to me, I think it's. I think the montage thing works really great. It makes me even more emotional. It is something that none of the other shows ever did. Um, so I remember that really well, and I remember how crazy it was that they did that. Did that seem? It certainly doesn't seem out of place to me. But does it seem non-Star Trek to you in any way? Uh, I thought it was a bit unusual, but it didn't strike me as it like it didn't fit. Um, you know, it, I think it worked. I'm, yeah, I mean, you run a risk with montages used in that. They 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 may or may not work, but this one worked. It works really well. It's it, to me, it's unusual for Star Trek, but it doesn't bother me. You know, it's it, it's it, I it is very emotional, and it's you know, you kind of takes you all the way back through the shows. And I think you know, if you really love the show, you'll enjoy this montage. Well, I tell you, the emotional moment for me. 
the, the montage sets it up, but the, but the, the single most emotional moment for me is, and it, and it was even back then, I remember this, I remember maybe welling up a little bit during the montage, but I, I so anyway, um, does it, do you guys have an, as an <laughs> visceral, as emotional reaction to this as I do? Am I a sap? Am I just buying? Ex- am I doing no, exactly I, what I, they designed it for? I, I teared up. I, it was emotional for me. It, the montage was emotional. The uh, it Vix was emotional. Certainly, another highlight for me. It was emotional. Was the um, yeah? I felt the Odo Kira stuff too. But I think it was more like when. Um, I don't know when Cisco, when Cisco's talking to Cassidy, and also at the tail end when it's Jake is just looks lost, you know, and then Kira's with him and all that, you know. Oh, uh, that's such a beautiful shot too. I yeah, that one got me. And one of the and definitely one of the highlights of the whole series has been that relationship with Cisco and his son, you know. And so that's you know, and, I, and it takes me back to the visitor, you know, my favorite episode, thinking about that loss he had without his father, and here now here it is for real, you know. So there was a visitor clip in that montage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, that last shot we see uh, Jake standing. And, and Kira just comes up and stands next to him. Does this show end on a downer? Is that is that a, a sad ending? Does it have a sad ending? It's it's a sad but yet hopeful ending. I, I think I, that's how I, I felt. Don't, I don't just mean that shot. I mean overall. Is this a sad thing? I wouldn't say so. But I mean because you you see that the the scene with Cassidy and Cisco where he explains to her what's going on. If maybe if we didn't get a conclusion about what happened to him, yeah, I would say that would be a sad ending. But that scene helped create hope in the future for these characters. And, you know, I, as much as we saw that scene where Jake's looking through the window and the visitor, that was sad. And maybe that's what you're thinking about because it, it kind of brings you back to the, the visitor where Jake's always looking through, through the windows, you know, on there and, Mm-hmm. I, I, that that maybe that reminded me of that 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 scene and then, but this is different because it's he smiles and you know he takes Kira's hand and he smiles because he knows I mean it, it's it's a hopeful ending to me but it, it, it it's very he, emotional. Should should Jake have been included? Should he have, should uh, Ben been able to say goodbye to both Cassidy and his son? I don't, I don't know. I think they did. It. I think it worked the way they did it. You know, I think it would have been more too complex. With both but, of them there. Yeah, but I think, but I think, in answer to what you're saying, though, I think it, I think it's good. I think there's a sad elements to it, but I think it's real. I think one of the, it's not just that this is the best series, and there, you know, and it's, it's been so well done, and that in they, the last episode uh, works so well. I think it's that it also these feelings happen because it's also very real. I mean, it's a final episode, but people are moving on. Some people are may not see each other again. You know, some relationships are breaking, and, and but. That's life, you know, and I think that's that's part of what makes this so poignant is it is that there's real things with real consequences happening. <clears throat> yeah, that's what makes it not sad for me. Because we do have th- this sense that things are gonna go on. You know, we've got we we've got Kira in charge, you know, we've got, you know, um uh Nog he's got his promotion and she says now about that so-and-so report, and yes, I'll hmm. get on that right away. Mm-hmm. You know, there is the sense that it's gonna go on and that um well, Cork says it. He said, "The more things change, the more the things I say the same." Say the same, right? Well, yeah, we get that that scene where uh, Kira chastises him for gambling or something. Um, so it's sad to me because it's an ending. It's it's the end of the show. I mean, but it's not it's not the end of of 
DS, DS9, which, you know, I've talked before about the difference between a trekker and a trekkie, and I feel that I am a trekker. I'm someone who goes on a journey. I believe that this universe is, is a living, breathing thing. So that I know it's going to continue on. Um, it's just the end of the window that we get to peek into. Exactly. Now, of course, they continue the storyline in some of the um, the relaunch novels. I think you read them, Steve. Mm-hmm. I did. Um, but I think they did some of the comics of that, too. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway. Well, we um, can talk about that in the next episode. Yeah. So, oh, last thing. I didn't ask it on the last episode because it was, it was so much plot and we were just getting into this. What is this finale about? Hmm. Endings? <laughs> Moving what on. Behind, what you leave behind. It's about what you leave behind, yeah. It's about so many things. It's hard to pick one out. Characters growing, characters changing, characters moving on, characters falling in love, characters <laughs> becoming deities. Um, and, um, Everything, yes. Their wives getting pregnant. Man, man meets boy, uh, uh, boy meets girl, boy impregnates girl, boy becomes God. <laughs> <laughs> DS9 in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, we're probably. Well, go ahead. We can see. No, I don't I'm not sure we're way over time. Um, is it, I always ask you guys if there's anything else you want to say. You always say no, but this time I'm going to say say something else about this finale. Go ahead, it's, Steve. Um, I think I think it's kind of no brainer, but I think it's the best series and it has the best finale. And I think it's for all the reasons we said. It's uh, it just it just sums up. It, it concludes the storylines in a satisfying fashion. It lets us say goodbye to the characters, lets the characters say goodbye to each other. Um, there are big themes. I just, it's excellent. Um, I, I think you, Brian, you and I kind of I agree. I, do, I really enjoy this finale. I would say it's my second favorite um, behind... Um, Enterprise. Next gen, yeah, next gen. Oh. Yeah, Enterprise. Yeah, you, you, you nailed it right there. Um, <laughs> all good things, um, which we'll talk about probably in two years from now. Um, but it's it's a great. It's it's very satisfying. Um, you know, we have the end of the war. It's big. It's it's epic in its scope, and it it holds up today because the battles still hold up for me. The the drama still holds up, and that's kind of what we've been talking about for the past two years about this show. Does it still hold up? Does it still have meaning? And, um, yeah, it's got all the dramatic themes in it and, and it's, it's great. It's totally satisfying. The characters, like we talked about in a television series, whether it's a movie or whatever, you're looking into a window of a character. You're not, you're not, it's, this isn't a reality show where you watch for years and years. This is just a window. And I feel like these characters are moving on into, they've grown, they become better and they're going to move on and become and do keep doing the same things for the rest of their lives. So, yes. Well, on it that holds excellent up. note, on that excellent note, let's do one more. Six degrees <laughs> for DS9 for uh, what you leave behind. Uh, our score, I believe, is Steve has two. Yep. Mm-hmm. Adam. Mel Johnson Jr. plays Legate Broca, the Cardassian leader that the Dominion decides to execute before he, too, uh, can turn against them. Name the 1990 sci-fi movie from Paul Verhoeven in which he played Benny the Cab Driver 
this movie also featured Mark Alamo, Robert Picardo, and Ronnie Cox. Hmm. Did it also include Arnold Schwarzenegger? It did include Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm going to say Total Recall. You are correct. It was Total Recall. It's so funny to me because every time Broca speaks in this episode, and he was in Dogs of War, uh, he sounds like Benny the Cab Driver. <laughs> Benny's the name. That's what I want to hear. All right, two to one. Uh, let's see. Let's see, Steve, if you can get your final six degrees for DS9. Greg Ellis plays Ikor, the Cardassian soldier that turns on the Jem'Hadar just in time to save Damar, Garrick, and Kira in Mila's cellar. In Abrams' 2009 Star Trek feature, Ellis played Engineer Olsen, one of three Enterprise crew members that attempts a space jump down to the Narada's drill platform. What color was Olsen's spacesuit? Hmm. I suspect it was red. You are correct. It was red. <laughs> All right. We have watched all of DS9. Um, folks, we're going to refrain from talking about the show kind of in a big picture sense here because we're going to be doing that in two weeks uh, when we really wrap up DS9 as a show. And, uh, and then, of course, a couple weeks after that, we're going to be starting Next Gen. So without further ado, thank you so much for listening. We hope You'll be back in two weeks for us to really finish up DS9. Uh, follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at trekcompanion. And uh, if I may add here, too, uh, I think we mentioned that it was coming, and now it is up. The uh, extended Trek Companion theme song is on iTunes, if anyone hmm. is interested. What, they just search for Trek Companion and if they'll they find search it, Trek Companion, it'll appear under albums and songs. It appears as Trek Companion and then parentheses Star Trek podcast theme. But if you search Trek Companion, you'll see it. And it's by um, our band name, The Solution. So there you go. You can check it out. Perfect. Just in time uh, to wrap up DS9. So until next time, take it easy. See you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.